Hello fellow human beings and welcome back or welcome to the Finding Balance podcast. This is Tom Ford and I believe that success in our inner world leads to success in our outer world. And what I mean by that is if we begin to better understand ourselves and the reason why we're doing something, then I think we're far better equipped to aim and strive and set our sights on something that we want to achieve. And I think the best way to do that is to ask ourselves better questions. For example, why am I really doing this? What is actually important to me? What is stopping me from achieving those things? And I think the more we ask ourselves these kind of questions, and the more we begin to explore the answers, I believe what that helps us to realise is that success isn't something that's bound up in external results or outcomes, but something that we can experience on a daily or even momentary basis. And from my own experience, that just creates a huge amount of space to just enjoy the path that we're on, to see it more clearly, to experience it more deeply. And when you work from such a higher place like that, I believe that success in the external form just follows as a natural result. And that's really what gave me the inspiration to start this podcast, was to better understand this inner dynamic, the inner world of people who are really achieving and have achieved a lot in the world, and in particular in the squash world, from players at all different stages of their career, ones who have retired, ones who are at the height of their career, and ones who are just on that path beginning now. And what my hope is for these conversations is to really illuminate the many different forms of success and the many different paths that can be walked in order to reach them. In today's episode, we have Lawrence Jan Anjuma, or LJ. LJ became the highest ranked Dutchman of all time in 2008 when he overtook the former world number 22 Tommy Burden, but he didn't stop there. He continued to rise into the top 20 and eventually into the top 10, and he reached a career high of world number 9 in 2010. He continued that form throughout that season and made it to the 2011 World Series Finals, which firmly established him as a top 8 player in the world for that season. LJ's been retired for two years now, which in this conversation he likens to having a warm bath. But it wasn't long before the comfort, consistency and security of the corporate world he'd been so interested in pursuing began to dull, and uh, he longed for the intensity and the extremities of a life that he'd left behind. So he decided to make a change. He's now in the process of writing a novel and coaching some budding squash players alongside. And in this conversation, we talk a lot about his process of going into retirement from professional squash the choices that he's made in those two years, and how he's felt about the decisions that he's made. We also deeply reflect on his time as a professional, from moving to England when he was 18 to train with Peter Nicol under Neil Harvey and the influence that that had on him throughout his entire career, to the hardest thing he's been through, and his favourite failure too. And throughout this conversation, there are many different threads of balance between discipline and letting go, between backing yourself and being humble, and between being selfish and selfless. So being focused on yourself and being focused on uh, how you can give to others. So I would really encourage you to listen and be aware of these kind of threads and see where you sit on the balance scale and maybe explore testing that scale and see what difference that makes for you. 
And other than that, I really hope you enjoy the conversation. I had a huge amount of fun with LJ. Here's Lawrence, Jan, and Juma on Turning the Page. All right, man. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Yeah, so um, this, I've been doing this for, this is like the eighth episode now, I think. And um, it's been it's been really fun kind of interviewing friends. And a lot of them have been people that I've known quite well already. Um, but I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to having a conversation with you because although I knew or know of you and, you know, how you played and um, and that kind of stuff, I've only really kind of felt like I've got to know you or got to know more about how you are as a person more recently. You know, for example, like I re- I've been reading your blog posts and uh, probably earlier earlier last year. And it's like the f- I, I very rarely get... Um, hooked on something you know what I mean like um I'll read a post or I'll, I rarely even make the time to read a post but what I found with yours is I finish one and then I and then I read another one and, and it kind of just got me I got into the into the vortex of all of the, the writing and I just thought oh, this this guy is like really interesting he's got a lot of stuff to say and um I, yeah I'm, I'm really interested to kind of ask you some some questions and hopefully get a bit more of an idea of you know who you are and how you've interpreted your journey um, we met at um at psl it was at the end of last year that's when i thought right, i'm going to try and grab this guy for a conversation that's right that's right um, and fortunately things have unfolded in a way that you're here now at uh, in cheltenham at the east gloss squash doubles tournament so uh thanks for coming along and uh, and thanks for making the time for the conversation today. yeah no problem no problem so is it, although you, you retired a couple of years ago now, are you still, do you still kind of jump at the opportunity or look for opportunities to, to get on court and play and be competitive? Um, well, I'm only playing maybe two or three times a week at the moment. Um, I train with my dad on a Friday, on a Sunday. I go to the gym on a Wednesday. So... Yeah, this is nothing compared to the life I had uh, training twice a day, six days a week. But uh, yeah, I I still play Dutch league, play Bundesliga. uh, And yeah, every time I go on court and play a competitive match, uh, it feels great, you know. Um, I think during my career as a professional squash player, sometimes the matches are not that enjoyable anymore, you know, like you get little aches and pains and you have to travel so much. Uh, But when the frequency becomes a little bit less, then every match is actually really enjoyable. And when I come off court, I I come off court with a smile and... It's uh, it's good to feel like the the, the old <laughs> the old version of myself for a bit. Sometimes has that evolved since you first retired? Did you have a complete break initially, and then you started playing a bit more in the last year or so, or how has that kind of evolved? Yeah, um, last year uh, I did. Uh, I had a job, a proper job. <laughs> I worked for a consultancy firm, um, so I worked Monday to Friday. Um, early morning till uh, 6, 7 p.m. Is that for your, spon- for your sponsor? No, that, that wasn't actually for my sponsor. Uh, I did an internship with my sponsor the year before, but okay. this is a, sort of the, the other job I um, I, uh, I ended up doing. And yeah, in those days, it, it was really tough to, to train or to play, to play well, even in league. Um, yeah, so after a hard day 
like a hard week at work. Um, you know, I was driving to to Belgium uh, for a league match on a Friday night, and and yeah, your whole perspective changes. You know, also training or going to the gym. You know, um, as an athlete, you go to the gym to perform. You know, to really perform, um, even when it's training. But now, uh, or back then, I was just happy to be there. You know, just happy to to drag myself to the gym. You know, it's it's not about performing anymore. Just being there is, is a result. <laughs> and, and so what are, you, what are you doing now? You mentioned that you're still working in that same job, this the, the second job. Uh, no, no, no. Um, I discovered it was not really my uh, my type of gig. Yeah, um, yeah I was in, uh, in IT and uh, yeah, I quickly found out that it was not really my, uh, yeah, something that I really uh, got enthusiastic about. Um, so yeah, at the moment I, I'm actually writing a novel. I'm writing a book, and I'm doing some coaching. Uh, so I coached this uh, 12-year-old kid uh, in Holland, um, coaching a few other people, and I'm yeah really enjoying that as well. And uh, how how have you found that transition? You know, do you think it was useful to have had those couple of years almost doing what you define as a normal job, whatever that means? And, uh, and now almost going back to squash and, you know, I could see it uh, yesterday when you offered your time to uh, some of the juniors at the tournament here, just how naturally you seem to connect with, with people from all ages, really. And I can see why um, something like coaching or mentoring or teaching is something that, you know, you're drawn to. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in the uh, at the end of my career, the last few years of my career, I was really uh, curious um like uh, in, in the, the corporate world, you know, uh, obviously playing squash all over the world. I've met a lot of people, a lot of successful business people. And I always had some curiosity there like, hey, because many traits are the same, right? If you're a successful businessman or successful athlete um, or, you know, so, so yeah, so I, just, I thought, okay, this, this is really interesting. But um, yeah, so this was also my drive for getting the job in a consultancy firm um i was uh, a team coach um i did some courses you know in uh, software development and how to coach uh, software teams um basically by communicate by yeah getting them uh, work better together communic communicating uh, better um but then yeah after six seven months uh, i thought uh, is this it you know is, is this is this the thing i was so curious about um and yeah uh in the end it wasn't for me and yeah like you said i really enjoy coaching i really enjoy um yeah getting the best out of people and finding that tone um that makes someone uh yeah learn something or improve it can be really fulfilling to when you've spent so long trying to improve yourself and maximize yourself to um to try and help someone else do that i think there's a very different kind of energy behind having someone else stand on your shoulders rather than you know when you're aiming to be the best you can be as a pro yeah absolutely and then and then the fact that everybody learns in a different way um that's also very interesting you know so as a coach you can never be one-dimensional saying okay this is the way i coach you have to take into account uh the reason why people are there on court you know uh, if if uh, a couple of housewives they go to a women's clinic they're there for a different reason 
than the 12 year old kid who's very uh who's already very fanatic and serious about the game and wants to maybe become a pro um at the moment i coach uh, a surgeon in amsterdam who does 12 hour surgeries um like really life life or death dependent kind of surgeries um so squash for him is a lovely way to to uh, get out of that world um, and to focus really intensely on something else and yeah this guy just wants to groove you know like he just wants to groove his swing and work technically and um, you know but but other people are really result orientated you know they want uh, they say don't give me too much technical advice you know just put the target there and I want to hit the target uh, 20 times you know so uh, yeah I find that quite interesting. Do you have a preference over what type of player or um yeah what type of person you want you have you would like to coach or you prefer to coach you, know, you mentioned like a young junior with potential or a surgeon or uh, the the mums at the camp <laughs> yeah um i think uh yeah they they all give me uh yeah some kind of uh, yeah uh, satisfaction you know to coach it's great, like the, the guy was a surgeon, he had some uh, problems with his back, you know, we do some physical, uh, like a little physical workout before we start the session, some core stability and stuff, and now he, his back doesn't hurt anymore. The kid, it gives me a lot of uh, satisfaction, obviously, because he's improving all the time, uh, he wants to uh, yeah, become a pro player later in life, um, and... Um, yeah, if someone is young and has the potential to to make it, it's, it's obviously gives it a different dimension as well. Mm, yeah. Do you have like a, a, a philosophy of what you're trying to deliver that's overarching depending on the diff- everyone has different needs and different things they're looking for? But is, would you say there's like a philosophy that you have of what you're trying to uh, ultimately deliver in your coaching? Um, I think so. Um I believe I believe in total squash, you know. Um, I think some coaches are obsessed by uh, making you hit the ball cleanly or having the perfect uh, hitting technique. But uh, hitting is only a small part of the game. Uh, movement is a, is a very big part. Um, tactics is a very big part. Um, so so all the all the physical aspects as well, core stability, agility, uh, plyometrics, uh, technique of the movement. Uh, it's very easy to overlook these things because well, yeah, we think okay we have to feed a ball and the guy has to hit to how to learn to hit the ball. But first uh, you need to get there uh, to be able to to hit the ball right. And Jonathan Power once told me. Uh, 80% of squash is movement so uh, so yeah in my my sessions do you believe that yeah absolutely uh, I think even if you hold the record wrongly <laughs> if there's such thing um, you can still be a very good player if you're very quick and you read the game well and you're there every time and you have uh, three options instead of one and your swing is a movement as well isn't it I, th- I don't know if, if you've thought about it in that way but I like to view, um, and this is a lot what we work on at Elite Squash in Bristol, is movement and hitting are, are one thing. You, there might be certain technicalities of the swing, but um, but ultimately, as you said, you have to move in a way that gets you to the ball, and your your racket moving appropriate to where the ball is is, is part of that movement. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if I wonder if he meant that in terms of eighty percent as well, or whether you think that too. Um. Set this, this is yeah. twenty percent the <laughs> the rest of the, the rest of this holistic game we're talking about. Yeah, 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 that's right. But 
yeah, it's also very hard to uh, teach someone how to swing or how to move properly if uh, if they don't have a strong uh, core stability. You know, if their core is weak, you know, then uh, everything else falls apart as well. So, um, yeah, I try to incorporate that in, into uh, most of the training sessions as well. And how do you handle or deal with the not the lack of competition, but I guess a different type of competition than you're used to? You know, like when you play, you've played extensively for what the tour for over ten years, and I'm sure many years before that, it must be very different going into a different lifestyle um, that is, I'd imagine, less cut and dry competitive in terms of you've won and you've lost yeah. and also a, a really varied lifestyle in terms of you're, you're very rarely in one place for very long yeah um those are kind of two things that really yeah. stand out for me that i've noticed from having a break from playing and i'd be really interested to know how you have dealt with it and how you sort yeah. of look at it at the moment yeah that's it's an interesting question i mean when i when I retired in June 2016, um, I was just really happy to stay at home, to uh, be in one place for a long time, you know. Retirement, it felt like a warm bath, you know. It was it was very, very nice, very comfortable. Um, you notice, uh, as well as I do, if you travel all the time, you don't, you don't get the chance to build on something, you know. You, you cannot really build things up. Um, it's difficult to study, it's difficult to do courses. It's difficult to uh, to have a relationship, and yeah, it sort of uh, becomes part of your nature as well. You know, if you if you're used to always leaving town for a week uh, after a week, you know, it's uh, yeah, it becomes maybe more than a lifestyle. You know, you're trying to perform somewhere and then you leave. Um, so in the beginning, it was really nice. It was really nice to stay at home, to have some structure. Uh, get a nice rhythm, you know, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, uh, in the same time zone, yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, not fighting jet lag all the time, not, uh, having lactic acid uh, through my legs all the time, you know, not killing the body every time, um, but then, yeah, uh, I'm sure you can guess after a while starts to itch as well and uh, I started doing like crazy sessions on court uh, doing court sprints or going to the to the gym and and uh, killing myself on the treadmill just just to get the, the heart rate back up and uh, you know it's it's still yeah you're you're used to a extreme extreme kind of uh, lifestyle and uh, yeah it's all about well, this is what the podcast is called right finding balance mm-hmm. um but yeah, I think I think it's a gradual process um, from the moment you retire to actually feeling uh, comfortable uh, in a new thing. Uh, it's gonna take a while. Yeah, and you're you're so right as well about the the training. It's um it's almost like a it's kind of like a drug in a way that you there's such a stimulation from from pushing your body like that that I find it kind of. It kind of dull, it kind of quietens everything else in life, I find. And um, there's a real stimulation to it and uh, things don't feel quite so um, all-encompassing or, or quite so meaningful when, you've, when you're pushing yourself to, to the limit like that. I think that's quite a special feeling that's very difficult to um, avoid wanting to do once you've experienced it. And of course, when it's been such a huge part of your life. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. If you you push uh, so hard during training, then uh, the four hours in between, you know, you go for lunch uh, with a friend, you know, you, you joke and you laugh and nothing really seems to matter because you've just pushed so hard, you know. You, with not one brain cell, you think about the next session uh, where you do the same thing all over again and, and everything else is not really important, you know, but it's very clear what's happening, you know. You, you have uh, one moment of uh, intense um, uh, work, or stress or however you put it and the other hours are complete relaxation you know it's very very clear uh, work and rest work and rest um, and and you're right you know uh, how, how did you say it it quiet it quiet it quiets all the other things in life mm. or uh, yeah it just kind of turns the volume down a bit that's right that's right and I, I think good way. I think also uh, maybe it's different for you but as an athlete you don't really uh, listen to your feelings right uh, in professional sport if every time I would listen to my feelings then uh, I wouldn't get many training sessions done you know like the, the the way you feel on a Tuesday morning after having killed yourself on Monday uh, yeah it's not uh, you don't feel great you know I don't I don't I don't look forward to going to the court uh, if my legs are heavy and my back is hurting but but you do it you do it you know because it's uh, it's what's supposed to be done and it's also what your coach teaches you, you you know this is discipline this is what it's all about but after years of doing this uh, yeah, I'm not used to really uh, listening to feelings anymore. You know, it's I do what's what's uh, supposed to be done. Mm. Yeah. And do you do you believe that that's what it's about? Like, how do we how do we discern when the right time is to listen to our feelings? Because I think there's a lot there's a lot of danger in in pushing that too far. Particularly as we've already discussed, the game is so multi-dimensional. It isn't just about that physical side is it anymore there are so many different ways that we can maximize our potential as a human being that will then yeah. maximize our potential on court and i'm just really interested in kind of exploring this idea of don't get me wrong like there are definitely days when you're not going to want to train and that's an important time to do it but yeah. do you think now particularly upon reflection there are some days where actually it might be more beneficial to to test your mind or to test something in a slightly different way. Or how, are you, yeah. how do you view that? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I discovered this, um, yeah, sort of by accident um, during my career that some of my best results uh, were actually not the times that I was most disciplined, uh, but it, it, it were times where I let go uh, as well a little bit. So I made the final of the US Open in 2010. I had this, I, I prepared well in the months before, but then, you know, I met up with some friends 10 days before the US Open and we were just supposed to go for dinner. Uh, we were friends from high school I hadn't seen for ages, you know, and it, it, uh, it clicked again, you know, so the night ended up, it ended up being a massive night out, you know, totally unexpected, totally not, not done, you know, uh, playing the bloody US Open in 10 days, what are you doing? And then, uh, you know, I, I go to Chicago and yeah, I, I make the, the final of the US Open, which was probably one of my best results in my career looking back uh, now. 
And yeah, it was a perfect balance for me because I wasn't untrained. I was really well trained. And what is one night going to do? You know, it's, you know, it's not going to change everything. And if it changes anything, it might change my mindset because I'm, I felt really happy. I felt I was, uh, social, I had a bit of a social life as well. And that gives you energy too. You know, it's not, it's not about, you have to have extreme energy to perform at your best but energy doesn't only come from training if you're not careful training only depletes your energy uh, it also comes from the, the mental side being happy um, yeah being happy was retirement and thoughts of you know uh, life after squash did that did that come into your radar when you were playing or was it something that you made time to think about or, or plan for in any way um, I think it's always on your mind a little bit uh, as an athlete because uh, you know you've got a limited uh, career span. You know it's going to be over uh, one day. But I was very stubborn, uh, you know, doing 100% what I was doing. So, yeah, sort of, uh, how do you say it? Uh, yeah, like on, on the one on the one hand, you think, okay, what I'm gonna do when I finish? But when I had that thought, I immediately went back to uh, listen. Don't think about what you're gonna do next. Uh, be here 100 percent. Train 100 uh, percent. What's the next tournament? Uh, your job is to perform well. The moment you start uh, thinking or looking for other things, you only have uh, yeah half of your brain or one eye left for the road you're on. You know, so um, yeah. This this is also maybe the difficulty that the moment you finish, you know, you're you're like, okay, now what? <laughs> yeah, based on what we've we we were just talking about just now about this this mental emotional side of playing well and and I guess optimizing your potential. Um, can you see can you see the benefit now? Would you do would you do it exactly the same, or would you think that? actually giving yourself that space not necessarily in the same way of well maybe like a spontaneous night out with your friends but in the same way you know just allowing yourself a bit more freedom to let go as you said of almost just wanting it too badly being a little bit too rigid and um exploring those other parts of yourself but in a sort of a, a slower or more like a not such an intense way um yeah, I th I think it's that's a really difficult question, Tom, because uh, I think it's a process we go through, right? It's a process you go through as an athlete. Um, I think I was able to let go, um, and I think it was good for me to let go later in my career, because earlier in my career I was very disciplined and uh, trained very hard, and I had unlimited uh, unlimited enthusiasm for the game, and I had a coach who taught me discipline and 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 unbelievable work ethic so from that if from that uh, base you 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 change a little bit and you uh, learn to let go sometimes and also to take a step back sometimes take a step back and and look what you're doing you know uh, analyze what you're doing are you are you happy with this life uh, are you going in the right direction why are you training twice a day why are you doing this why are you doing that uh, I think it's a process you have to go through. I think if I would coach a young kid or 18-year-old uh, starting pro, I wouldn't advertise letting go too much. You know, I would, yeah. I would, uh, yeah, maybe I would teach the same thing: first discipline, work hard, and mm -hmm. 
um, uh, yeah, maybe that's a that's a natural process. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, so. You have to kind of develop um, sort of form or, as you said, discipline the more sort of harder skills before you can then let go. It's like you have to groove yes. a technique before you can get someone to explore what their own technique is like. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, I, and I think you're right. It, it's, as you say, it's a very difficult kind of process to explain or articulate because, again, it is different for everyone, but that's something that I, I talk about on this is, asking yourself why and, and taking that time for reflection because reflection on general things on every day but also on a more of a macro level um can be really healthy to take a step back and um combine that with with a positive drive forward because i think most people who play squash professionally or enter being a life as an athlete are already quite driven and uh, they know where they want to go yeah. um, so i think it's just trying to find a little bit more balance between um, as you said, questioning why and um, exploring more of yourself in that sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, I, yeah, and, and also uh, really realizing what things in life make you happy, you know, and uh, the things in life that make you happy, that, that cannot be a bad thing, you know, if you, if you use it, uh, if it's not counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve, um, yeah, even if it seems counterproductive sometimes, you know, it can still be, it can still help you because in the end, you need to be happy to uh, get the best out of your potential. I'm, I'm convinced about that. Yeah. What makes you happy? Um, being independent, uh, being creative, uh, using my brain. Um, in a creative way? Yeah, in a creative way, I think. Coaching, uh, yeah, Coaching this kid uh, really gives me a lot of uh, satisfaction, and also, uh, yeah, uh, being seen. I guess being seen. So uh, this is why squash, uh, why I loved squash so much. You know, because uh, I was independent, and if I performed, you know, you you were being seen. You know, it's uh, it sounds a bit ridiculous, but yeah, this is also why I enjoy writing. You know, um, I'm independent. And if you if you uh, write a good blog or a column, uh, people read it. You know, um, yeah. What What do you mean a little bit more specifically about being seen? So on a on a sort of more immediate yeah. level, it's yeah. I see you playing on the squash court and you play squash well, or I see your blog post and I like it. But on a more of a deeper level, that can be you know I see you know who you truly are beyond sort of yeah. LJ Angema, yeah. and and all of those labels. Yeah. And in a way, they are interlinked because when yeah. you are performing and creating at your best, that is who you truly are, yeah. at least most of the time. Yeah. But just how would you um, articulate or uh, yeah. see that? Yeah, no, maybe maybe you're you're spot on. Maybe you're right like that. Um, if I write a column or a blog, or even having this conversation with you now, uh, it's on a way deeper level than uh, than LJ the squash player. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, so maybe. Maybe that's it. But I think everybody has the need to be seen, um, if only by one other person, you know. But I think it's a very human uh, need. How do you think we can better see each other? Because I think, ah, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I, <laughs> I, think, I think we find it very difficult to see someone else because we're very conscious of our own self. And it's very hard to, um, to just truly be there with someone or, or experience something from someone. Yeah. From your own experience, how do you or how can we 
see someone else. Uh, that's, a great, that's a great question. Um, sounds kind of spiritual, but... Uh... <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. You can't be too spiritual that's fine. in here. Yeah. Um, I think as an athlete, or this is the process I went through, um, you you learn just uh, almost to take care of yourself. You know, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's about you uh, getting the best out of your your potential. About you having your food on time. About you eating healthy. About uh, people around you helping you uh, get to the airport, get to the train station. Uh, if you phone people, you, you call them because you, you might need to chat with someone uh, to make you feel good when you're abroad. Um, and if you're not careful, you don't realize this anymore. You know, you don't re because everyone uh, plays along, and and what you're doing is great. You have a great career, and and you know, um, sort of fair enough. You know, but. When you come into the real world, uh, it's suddenly not about you anymore, you know. And I also think this is great about being a writer. Uh, now it's not about me, you know. I'm I'm suddenly the fly on the wall, and I'm just looking at a situation or a conversation between two or three people, or about or I look at someone's life. Uh, what is that person going through? What emotions does he go through? What what? Uh, how does his day look? Uh, without any judgment, you know, just 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 the observer, just the observer. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that's 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 why I like um, writing as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just a sort of a practice of awareness, almost. Where is my attention on? Is it on me or is it on others? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what has in this period of um, retirement from professional squash? What's the biggest thing you've learned or what, what has it taught you? Yeah, that's, I think uh, as athletes, as professional athletes, uh, talking a big game is not really how, uh, how we roll, you know, it's not about that, you know, you don't need to say anything to become a world champion. You know, it's it's about the result. It's about the achievement. You know, the achievement that speaks for itself. But what I found, what I learned in the corporate world, or in the business world, or life after squash, or life next to squash, is that uh, people talk a big game all the time. You know, like they they sell their product, they sell this, they do this, they they talk about their business, they do you know, and and they talk up a big CV. Um, but when push comes to shove, or you get to know them better, or you get to know the job better, or the, the you know, it's uh, it sometimes disappoints a bit. You know, you're like, wow. Uh, and because as an athlete, you you don't really you don't really uh, talk a big game about yourself. Uh, then other people in the business world might also think, well, this guy is a nobody because he hasn't done anything. You know, like it's uh, I, I find that a really big contrast. Of uh, yeah, selling yourself as an athlete, you don't need to sell yourself. The, the product is um, the product is is who you are and what you uh, what you achieve, right? So, um, I guess now, sort of looking back on your career, is there a moment or a period during it that gives you the most joy to think about? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's such such great times, such great times on tour. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, when I was 18, when I moved to England uh, to train with Neil Harvey uh, and Peter Nichol, uh, Peter Nichol was my my idol. Um, I had pictures uh, of him above my bed. Uh, it was a dream come true to train there, you know, as this young 18-year-old kid walking around in a, a little uh, village uh, northeast of London where it rained all the time. Uh and I tell this story now to people and they say, wow, that, that must have been a big sacrifice. And I'm like, are you kidding me? A sacrifice? This was my dream, you know, and, and every day I walked for two hours. You know, my, the house where I stayed at was a half an hour walk from the club. So in the morning I walked to the, to the club. I trained for two, three hours. Then I walked back uh, and in the afternoon I did the same. So I was already just walking for two hours. Uh, I had a bedroom as small as my current uh, closet. Um, <laughs> with a little uh, tiny TV above the, the foot end of my bed. Um, the owners of the house, they charged me 90 quid uh, a week for rent, you know, so I could sleep, uh, I could do my laundry and uh, I could get some meals. But then after a few months, they raised the rent to 100 quid because they thought I, I, uh, I ate too much. <laughs> they, <laughs> I was surprised. Yeah, they didn't realize that... Um, as an athlete, you burn about, uh, I don't know, 6,000 calories a day and that those calories had to come from somewhere and uh, it was out of their wallet. So, uh, you know, this, that gives me great joy to think back about those training days in England and so, some of the results, uh, beating Peter Nichol in Chicago, beating Johnny White in Dayton, uh, beating Beachill in St. Louis, uh, winning the tournament in Montreal, some highlights, you know, uh, I remember winning the tournament in Montreal. It was my biggest victory. Um, I think I beat Selby in the final, Grant in the semifinals. Uh, but I was all alone. I was alone, man. So I went back to the hotel and it was a lovely hotel. And I sat in a jacuzzi near the swimming pool and, um, yeah, I won the tournament. But there was no, no one there to celebrate it with, you know. And But I still felt so good, you know, so good. <laughs> it's 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 a weird you know those things they 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 give me joy and yeah the, the moment i became world number nine for the first time um i played the dutch open i played uh Stuart boswell who uh you know i admired you know i thought his game was unbelievable i think i think i first played hisham ashur and hisham i had a terrible record against hisham i could never play the guy and uh, I beat him. I beat Hisham, you know. Right. So now suddenly I was in the semifinals and my manager told me, if you beat Boswell in the semis, if you make the final, you're going to be world number nine next month for sure, no matter how you go in the final. And uh, yeah, I, I went on court and I, I played unbelievable against Boswell. And then, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, a high physically because your heart rate is uh, 185, you know, uh, and a high mentally. Uh, yeah, that was a great feeling. Yeah, so maybe take us to that moment because that's a big opportunity, a big crunch point, you know, where um, not everyone is able to to manage those kind of emotions and can almost crumble a little bit. But, but so, before before uh, the match yeah. or after? Uh, before, before, so yeah. knowing that you had the opportunity to beat Boswell and become top 10 in the world. I mean, you're already the uh, the highest ranked Dutch player of all time, but to to get to top ten in the world is not only like an incredible achievement for someone of your country, but also a, a massive personal achievement. Um, what did you? What were the kind of emotions that you were feeling beforehand, knowing that, 
and uh, and how did you manage and cultivate positive ones in in winning in the end? <laughs> yeah, I think I I didn't crumble because I thought those guys were so good. I, I you know they were so good that uh, for me it wasn't like oh well if I lose this match I'm not gonna be top ten. Uh, I thought, well, Stuart Boswell, well, I hope I get a point on the board, you know. Um, so I was constantly trying to, yeah, uh, constantly trying to prove to myself that I could do it, you know. And I was really, uh, I realized how good they are, that they were, you know. So it, it was never a negative emotion. It was always a positive emotion, like, wow, this, this, uh, it would be amazing if I could do it, but, but can I do it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I, I think the greatest champions, they are never sure about themselves, you know, and, and, uh, I saw this very clearly in David Palmer. He's like the, the biggest champion ever in my mind, but you could also see that he was never sure about himself, you know, and I think this is, a this is a great driver to to become a champion you know if you if you get too cocky um too self-assured um i don't think it's a good thing yeah it's a, it's a balance again isn't it of believing in yourself and backing that you you can do it but also as you said like if you go too too far uh in the way of sort of appreciating yourself and thinking too highly of yourself then you maybe don't have the drive or that's when you're more susceptible to people coming below you and then also if on the other side of that is if you don't back yourself enough and you're too humble exactly. yeah. then you can get pushed around by those guys yeah okay. i think that's what uh, nadal said in an interview as well right that um that uh, his uncle tony he uh, taught him always to be very humble to respect every uh, every opponent and you still see it today in his interviews you know he's such a humble guy but he also mentioned in his book that sometimes that's the attitude that got him into trouble in the first few rounds because he respected the other guy so much and he's also a little bit uh, scared all the time and suddenly he has these five setters uh, well maybe not now but um yeah as you said it, it's it's a it's a balance where you need some you need obviously confidence some ego as well but uh certainly not uh not too much yeah and I mean, you mentioned quite a few of those matches, but I guess the thing that stands out to me from the research that I've done is that was it the season of 2010, 2011 that you, you made World Top 10, you reached the final of the US Open, you won San Fran, and you made it to the World Series finals, which essentially established you as a top eight in the world player for that season. Um, can you capture your mindset or how it feels to be? at your best and maybe that maybe that period isn't you know your best but yeah. from a results level that's what it would appear to look like yeah um i think the moment uh, that really started that whole positive uh, flow where I, I was the best version of myself uh, i always call it i went to colorado uh, in the summer in the summer of 2010 and then i did it again in the summer of 2011 um, and I went to Colorado for the first time and I fell in love with that state. The training in the Rocky Mountains, uh, mountain biking, cycling, uh, running, uh, playing squash. Uh, such a healthy lifestyle at altitude. Um, it's an athlete's mecca, you know, so 
when in Holland or in England you see people in uh, in uh, in suits uh, walking around during the day, over there you only see people in uh, cycling gear, running gear. They've just bought their new road bike, uh, worth ten thousand um, dollars. There's healthy food all around you it's so in your face you know uh, organic food gluten-free you know if you ask that in a restaurant they don't look at you weird you know they they look at you in a strange way if you order uh, <laughs> a, 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 an english breakfast for example <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so so that got me in a really positive uh, mind mind state. Uh, I got really fit. I trained for another six week uh, six weeks back in Holland. Uh, my physical trainer at the time, Damon Brown, gave me some incredible uh, ghosting sessions to do on my own. And yeah, I, I was really I was really hammering it, you know, hammering it on my own, and I was happy hammering it. Uh, in in that summer. The World Cup football was on, and I lived in Amsterdam. So you have to imagine when Holland played, like the the whole town, the whole city was orange. Uh, and I actually went on my scooter uh, riding to the gym, and I was training when uh, Holland played Brazil in the in the semifinals. You know, and I I didn't watch the game. I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested. And uh, yeah, going. St- on my scooter back home I, I'm, I'm riding past all these cafes with people drinking beer and wine and I'm thinking that's not me that's not uh, you know I, I also had a bit of friction between me and and normal society and, and normal people you know like uh, those people are drinking uh, you know they're not going anywhere and I'm going here you know I'm doing this I'm, you know I was very uh, aggressive in a way but yeah in the end it got me in such good shape uh, that yeah, it was beautiful to see it uh, come out. Yeah, yeah. You, you you actually mentioned in a in an interview that I said you, you said it felt like an amazing achievement, and it was. But the lifestyle I had to obey was quite extreme, and you yeah. know, you've established that there. Is that is that sustainable, or um, how do you kind of view that? Was that a burst that kind of got you a level up, and then you get used to it, or? Um, how do you view that in terms of sort of sustainability and um, just generally the path to achieving your best self yeah it it was uh, absolutely a burst a burst of two or three months where um, I just went flat out um, flat out twice a day six days a week no so almost no social life um, and I was also happy doing it you know Mm. Um, but yeah how sustainable is that? Uh, that is the question. Uh, but I think as a squash player, you only need to do that twice a year or once a year. You know, uh, that, that those are the two months in the summer. And then the season starts. And then when the season starts, you, you don't get the time to, to train that, uh, that well or that hard in between tournaments. So everything, all the other sessions, they become sort of um, different, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question to answer how sustainable that is. Mm. I think it's different for everybody. I think that's different for everybody. I'm, I'm quite a, I still consider myself as quite a sociable person. So I like to uh, have friends. I like to, uh, I don't know, chat with people. But, but other people, um, yeah, might be very, very happy living, uh, almost individualist. Uh, yeah, uh, going, getting into that zone, and they might not meet all those uh, social outbursts. You know, so. 
for me, I did it one or two summers like that and it, it, it paid off. But uh, yeah. I also see there are kind of two sides to being or performing at your best on the day. One is in the preparation and one is actually in the execution of that preparation on the day. And you've spoken a lot about the preparation and that's where um, you need that foundation. But you can have the foundation and completely mess up, mess up on, the, on the day. Yeah. So um, do you th- how, how do you think about your match day routine? There are obviously lots of things that you're trying to manage. Um, how, do you, how do you go about that? And did that change you know, in that period when you're at your best? Yeah, I mean, during your uh, on your match day, there's so many variables. Mm. Is that the word? Variables. So many insecurities, things you, that you don't know how things are going to play out are going to happen. That you that I wanted to stick to a lot of things that I was sure about. You know, so okay, I want to be at the club one hour before my match starts. Um, I want to have all my gear ready, my headbands, my wristbands, my wa- my water bottle bottle filled. I want to start my warm up uh, twenty five minutes before my game. I always during the same tournament I did exactly the same warm up, um, and the next tournament I might do a different kind of warm up, but I would always do the same the same kind of warm up. Um, maybe listen to some music. So so I had this whole uh, routine. Which gave me uh, confidence, you know, it doesn't matter what time zone I'm in, whether I'm in Hong Kong, Australia or the States, um, I know I'm preparing myself for for a battle now. I'm teaching my my body, okay, in one hour you need to go. But yeah, I, I also went through a stage where this is when I won the tournament in Minneapolis. I stayed with a billet and uh, they had a massive house and they gave me a a top floor to myself and I was quite into meditation uh, at the time and I I meditated for 12 minutes. Why 12? No idea. The number sounded good. I thought, okay, 12 minutes. I'm going to sit here uh, on this floor and just going to listen to the sounds I hear and close my eyes and, and that's it. And... Yeah, when I then walked to the court and I, I started really preparing for my match, I thought, uh, okay, how, how am I going to play? What's, what's going to be my game plan for, for in a minute? And then I thought, okay, I suddenly got, got this epiphany, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to have a game plan. There, there is no game plan. I'm going to be exactly like the 12 minutes in my meditation where... I'm just in the moment, you know, so I trust all the tools I have, uh, everything I learned uh, over all the years, you know, I, I trust the, 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 the toolbox uh, in my rucksack and I'm just going to react in the moment. I'm going to be exactly like in my meditation. I'm not going to go on court with a preconceived idea about how he's going to play, about my last result against him, about uh, maybe targeting the back and left front after four shots, having it to the back. You know, I'm just going to live uh, in the moment. This is my playing ground. This is me out in the field playing, you know. And it gave me an unbelievable freedom to play. Um, yeah, and it felt, felt really good. I didn't feel invincible, but uh, I felt I was the hardest uh, to beat on those days. Yeah. So we've, we've talked a lot about the highs and the lessons um, that you've learned along the, your career, but what, what would you consider as the hardest thing that you've been through? 
Um, I was uh, on the floor of the changing room of the Princeton Club on the 3rd of January. No, probably the 5th of January 2016, uh, crying. Uh, I just lost the first qualifying round of Tournament of Champions against Clinton Liu, um, who played an amazing match, but uh, I thought he wasn't the guy I should uh, I should lose to. And it, it was after having been injured in 2000, end of 2014, uh, getting a surgery, doing this rehab in my surgery. The rehab went well, but then I was completely uh, yeah, recovered. Then it was the end of the season. So this was uh, end, end, um, in 2015. So then I, I started training again for the next season, trained really hard, and then I suddenly felt my foot again, the same foot I had the surgery on wasn't the same pain because uh, the surgery fixed that pain but I got other pains you know in the neighboring area the calf the Achilles you know and uh, yeah that, that was a big that preparation was a big struggle um, the first tournaments of 2015 went didn't go that well and uh, you know I, I skipped Christmas you know no Christmas parties for me no Christmas dinners I'm gonna train and my first tournament this was the first time that all these uh, little aches and pains they also vanished and I'm like okay now now I'm off you know now now I'm going again so yeah I, I trained really hard made yeah really felt I made these sacrifices only then to go to New York on the 3rd of January and lose first round uh, not on the glass court in Grand Central, but uh, at, 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 a, at, a, at a club, <laughs> at a club somewhere. Uh, yeah, and there was a slap in my face, you know, like really, really slap. It was uh, tough to deal with. It was, you know, like losing to someone you shouldn't lose to, it happens sometimes, but it was more like the whole period before, oh, yeah, the, the, the injury, the rehab, but then getting the setback from the injury, then, you know, that, that, that was what made it extremely painful. And how, how did you deal with it? What kind of things did you do to move forward from there? Talk with my mental coach, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be more specific about, about the type of things that you, you spoke about and how maybe he helped to, to reframe certain things? Or Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's yeah it sounds maybe a bit uh, I, ho I hope it doesn't sound like an excuse but he also put things in perspective you know so back then it was a real slap in the face for me I thought well, what am I doing at this stage of my career this is not where I want to go did I do all this work for nothing but uh, yeah he said uh, LJ when when did you fly to New York I'm like uh, on the third he goes on the third when did you play I go on the fifth he goes, what time did you play? I go, 8 p.m. He goes, okay, what, what, was, what was the Dutch time at 8 p.m.? I go, well, it was like 2 in the morning. And he goes, well, there you go. I'm like, what do you mean, there you go? I, I, always, I always used to travel to the States only two or three days before. And he goes, yeah, but you're not, you're not, you're not uh, the player you used to be. A few years ago, you know, you're you're a 34, 33 year old guy. You know, you, you need to be, you need to arrive there. I'm sorry to say, but you you need to get there earlier. You need to get there six days early, before New Year's. You know, and and you know, so he he put it in a kind of perspective, and and yeah, it's it's not the, it's not the kind of uh, I, I was never inclined to excuses or anything, but um, yeah, he put it in a certain perspective for me.
and then did you just did you just move on from that with that new frame of you know I need to there are things that I need to be doing differently now because of where I'm at and the things that I've been through yes yeah yeah but with all the difficulties that came with it you know because arriving six seven days early as you know it's not always a luxury you have right it means six seven days of more uh, hotel expenses food expenses uh sometimes you you just cannot get there that early because you're playing another tournament or league match um so um yeah that, uh, that was tough do you have a favorite failure so something that at the time you thought was terrible, like a really bad failure, but actually turned out to be something that was a real blessing in disguise. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when I, when I had the plan of moving to England to training with Neil Harvey, I, I went there for one week with, uh, with another Dutch junior player. Um, and we went there for one week just to, to try it out, you know. And I think I was a Dutch champion under 19, so I thought it was a big deal. And uh, we went there together to, to try it. And for one week, we're training there. And after one week, we came back uh, and we were knackered, you know. It was, the training was tougher than we ever done before, uh, which wasn't uh, difficult because we trained, uh, I don't know, four <laughs> days a week after school. And now we're suddenly trained twice a day for six days, uh, six days a week. And after, after that week, uh, my friend, the other junior player, decided, well, I'm not, I'm not uh, moving to England. I'm not doing this, you know. And uh, I decided to do it. So one month later, I moved to England and I trained there full time for six months, six months. And after six months, I had to fly back to Holland to play trials for the Dutch team. Um, I think uh, it was a contest of being number five or six in the team, the, the team that went to the world championships in Australia at the time. So rumors were going around in Holland you know this little kid Anima. He must be. He must be really good now because he's trained with the coach of the world number one. You know he's he's one to watch. You know yeah, we have to be careful about this guy. <laughs> well, I hope you feel it coming. I I played two matches. Uh, I lost both of them uh, against the guy I went to England with uh, six months before. Um, and uh, yeah, two days later, the day after, I set on a flight back to England, uh, and I was back in uh, Chingford where it rained. <laughs> so this was this was a very. I mean, as an eighteen-year-old kid, I was like, I totally couldn't make sense of what, what happened, obviously. But uh, this is also why Neil Harvey was such a good coach uh, for me, at least. Uh, you know, he said, um, "Believe in what you're doing. Uh, there's no shortcut to the top. You know, um, in order to improve, you need to sometimes take a few steps back. You know, and and uh, you're playing worse for a little bit. You know, so." But he kept me on the right track. And then a few months later, I pl played my first PSA events and made the final out of qualifying. And, and then that set the tone for uh, yeah, the, the months to come. So it almost helped you find that balance of not getting, of almost getting like humbled. In yeah. the sense of like maybe get, if you'd have believed in the hype and got into the, the team and gone to Australia, that, that uh, ego could have been boosted a bit too much. It maybe just put you down a peg so you had that hum humility to change ultimately i guess yeah yeah that's right yeah <laughs> that's great <laughs> um so we'll just do some some more quicker quicker fire questions and uh move on this one might maybe not so but um knowing what you know now what is being an athlete or a professional squash player really about um taking ownership over everything you do 
yeah, you're your your own entrepreneur. It's your life. You're the boss. You can you can hire whoever you want. Uh, you can you can decide on uh, what action to take. You know, it's never someone else's fault. It's it's your it's your it's your thing. What percentage of success on the world stage is related to the mind? Yeah, I, I find this a really difficult question because the mind and the body are interlinked. Um, so when my body was in unbelievable shape because I went to Colorado, my mind state was also very, very, got stronger and stronger. But why did I go to Colorado? Because uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to train really hard, you know, so maybe, maybe it, was, it was a mind thing first, but... I, I do yoga sometimes now and on, on the door of my yoga uh, practice it says you're one step away from a good mood mm-hmm. you know and and this is also true even if you feel horrible mentally if you if you can somehow get to the gym or somehow get to the court or somehow get to the yoga room you, you're gonna feel good again because you do a physical workout so mm-hmm. it, I, I, I cannot say it's all mind you know it's body too yeah yeah I, li- I like that that quote as well. Something that I would see, or the thing that sprung to mind was, was it happiness, or is only one step away? Uh, you're one. Oh, good you're, you're, no, you're one step away from a good mood. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, the yeah. thing that came to mind for me was you're one breath away from a good mood. But the thing I like about that is it implies action. Whereas oftentimes, if you, as much as like meditation is great, you can. It's very difficult to change your mind just by focusing on your breath. Whereas actually going out and actively doing something is that's the thing that really helps to change absolutely yeah yeah yeah. i mean in some of the low points in my career uh it wasn't uh, the time to to reflect you know uh it wasn't although i felt like it uh, reflection but the reflection when you're not feeling that great is not that uh, you know it doesn't help you that much you know so sometimes you just need to get your ass to the gym and kill yourself on the bike and then uh, after that you, you're feeling pretty good again next day you go again next day you go again and before you know it you're out of that negative uh, mind mind state i think ultimately it always passes everything our emotions life everything is always changing it's just how quickly it changes if the longer we cling on to something or reflect or meander over something the longer it's likely to stay so if you change something in your external environment, the likelihood of something internal changing quicker is more likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what's the biggest destroyer of success on the world stage? <laughs> the biggest destroyer? Yeah, I would say, uh, how do you call it? Uh, distraction. Mm-hmm. Thinking you should win, you should do well. You know, this is what what I said about the story about the Dutch Open, about Boswell, about Ashur, you know, I I never thought I should win. Uh, These guys were so good, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. So you only have things to win, you know, not not to lose. Is there something that you still say to yourself that you're working on trying to drop that you haven't quite figured out how to yet? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, my, my, I've, I discovered that my quality as uh, a person or as an athlete is my focus. I can focus really well. I, I'm, 
not easily distracted. I can uh, put my phone away and nowadays I can write for seven, eight hours uh, in a row, you know, without checking emails or anything. So my focus is one of the, one of my, my good character traits. But uh, your good character trait is also uh, your your bad character trait. Uh, it's a flip side. It's a, there's a flip side. There's a flip side to it because it means I'm also less open to other things. You know, if I, if I'm in my zone or if I've said to myself I'm doing this now, uh, then it's very hard for someone else to come in between and say, "Hey, let's do this or let's do that." Or um, you know, yeah, yeah, you're less open to other things in life, maybe. Um, yeah, so this is something I need to uh, take a look at and, and uh, yeah, yeah, keep looking at myself to, to maybe be a little, little bit more uh, relaxed in that sense. And do you have a habit or a practice or a ritual that you do daily or consistently that contributes to your inner success or well-being? Yeah, uh, a cold shower every morning uh, and uh, espresso on an empty stomach. I don't know. It gets it going. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my ritual. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you do the cold shower straight away, or do you do warm and then the last bit cold? Uh, first warm, first yeah, warm, it's and then. It's got to be that yeah, way, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, it has to be that You've way. Got to be strong to do yeah. to go straight in. But nowadays, <laughs> I, I I couldn't start the day without the cold shower. Yeah, I, I, I have yeah. to. Do you do the same? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's like nuts no one will believe it until they try it but once you get your head over it it's hard not to have it okay? yeah, yeah yeah and the, uh, do you do uh, the legs are good as well huh? you, you, the legs you, oh, yeah, yeah. you've got to get the whole body in yeah the whole, the whole yeah. body for sure and that's that's yeah. the tough part right the the, the chest yeah. uh, and the back that's yeah. the tough part but sometimes I get the, the shower ahead and put it on my legs yeah. after uh, I don't know the previous night's training or something yeah. that's that's really good too <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, last couple. What's the question we should be asking more? I'm sure you get, you've had a lot of questions being asked at you in interviews and, and this one and uh, in everyday life. But what what's something that you think we could do better to ask more? Uh, where do you want to go and what stops you from uh, going there? Two, uh, two questions. To yeah. other people or to ourselves? Um, both. Yeah, both. Both. Um, it sounds it sounds obviously pretty uh, goal orientated, but um, yeah, I think in the end we we, we also we're, we're also very good at uh, finding excuses or reasons. Um, but but if something gives you great satisfaction of achieving something, then then you should do everything to take all the obstacles out of the way. And often the obstacles are are in your mind. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks, LJ. I really appreciate you coming here for the tournament, making the time to, to do this conversation and, and to be so open as well. I, I really appreciate that. and I'm sure it's going to be a real benefit to anyone who listens. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. great, great being here. Thanks. Is there, um, what's the best way for anyone to connect with you or follow what you're up to, like on social media or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'm on uh, on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and also my my website, uh, laurenceanima.com, laurenceanima.com. <laughs> I, po- I, I, I yeah yeah. <laughs> I post my uh, my new blogs uh, on my Facebook anyway. So uh, okay. yeah. And how did, yeah. are they all the same tags? Um, is it L- at LJ Anjuma or? Um, yeah, LJ Anjuma at Twitter. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And do you have like a book recommendation? 
as well as the book that you're going to be writing, of course. So is that, do you have a, like a release date for that yet or is that still in the works? Yeah, I don't have a release date yet. It's probably going to be out next year, I think. Um, yeah. Okay, well, if people yeah. keep up to date with your website and all that kind of stuff, they'll find the way to yeah. find it. Yeah, for sure. But for sure. Are, you yeah. a, are you a reader? Do you, you like to read? Yeah, I, I started reading uh, more and more uh, only the last couple of years uh, because I'm now interested in writing. It helps the writing massively. A- absolutely. I mean, this is what Stephen King uh, wrote in his book uh, on writing. Uh, so he gives uh, beginner, st- beginner writers, he gives them uh, advice and he says, uh, yeah, you need to uh, write and read a lot you know uh, see how other people do it um and yeah I, but i'm reading most mostly dutch books at the moment um i'm actually uh, j- i just started an english book or an american book uh, written by ify pokoda um and she used to be a professional squash player um so i'm really enjoying that at the moment yeah so is that is that a, the book that you would recommend for our for our listeners yeah for sure it's called uh, wonder valley um I just started, but the first chapter is great. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, awesome. So we just have uh, the last couple of questions, which are, I start the sentence and you're just going to finish it with whatever comes to mind. Does it have to be grammatically correct? Okay. No, just go, whatever comes out. <laughs> do do okay. your best. Okay, okay, are you ready? Yeah. Success is? Happiness. Failure is? Uh, inevitable. Life is? Cool. I am. LJ. It all comes down to passion. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was fun. And thanks everybody for listening. Uh, If you did enjoy this, then please connect with myself and LJ. Um, You can find all of the um, information about that on the show notes, but you can punch over to his website, Lawrence Anjuma. Dot com, dot com. Uh, and at LJ Anjuma on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, so check out his book when that comes out and hit him up with any questions if that's okay. And uh, and likewise for me as well, I'm at Tom Ford Squash on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my website is TomFordSquash.com. And uh, in the meantime, if you enjoyed the conversation, you think somebody else would and would find some benefit, then please share it with them. That's the best way that this is going to grow. And in the meantime, just have a great week and I'll see you next time with the next one. Peace.